Thank you for joining the Ross Republic podcast. In our sixth episode, your host Adrian Clay is joined by Maso Arai. He is Ross Republic's advisor for ecosystem finance and super apps. Maso joins Adrian to discuss the latest developments of open banking in Asia. Due to the rise of extensive digital ecosystems and financial super apps, Asia has become the global forerunner of open banking. Compared to its European counterparts, Asia has a distinctive competitive edge which affects the speed of open banking innovation in the region. Maso and Adrian provide an overview of the latest developments in Asia, explain the underlying industry dynamics and key players to look out for, as well as differences and implications to European open banking developments. Here's Adrian Clare from Ross Republic to kick off the discussion on open banking in Asia. Hi, my name is Adrian. I'm partner at Ross Republic, um, responsible for digital banking topics. And today we're going to talk about a topic that we have covered before, open banking. However, with the twist that um, today we will now also look at the Asian market and how open banking has developed in Asia specifically. And for that, we have um, invited our senior advisor, Maso Arai, on the podcast. He's an expert when it comes to ecosystem finance, super apps, as well as open banking. So Maso, it's great to have you here today. Um, please feel free if you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background as well. Thanks a lot, Adrian. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to, to be able to, uh, to share my ideas on this topic. And uh, briefly, my background, um, I came from a kind of a heavy engineering industry where ecosystems yep. were quite an um, important perspective of how you handle end-to-end customer and then supplier relationships and all that uh, and i worked there for seven six years seven years almost where then okay. i ended up in nordia bank again brought a different perspective and lately for last four years i've been focusing on fintechs and uh, specifically with uh, perspective on china uh, all right that's the angle Great. No, that's really great to have you here. I think um, that will be a very interesting podcast because so far we only talked about open banking in terms of PSD2 and what it means for European banks. As we know, this has been quite um, driven by the regulations that we have been um, or that have been coming in the UK and then, of course, on the European level as well. But um, if you look to China, um, there, ha- there is definitely an extensive digital ecosystem in general. And if you look at the banking sector, um, uh, that, that applies as well. And I think um, the big examples are always the financial super apps that are coming up in the Asian market, like Grab, for example, who has been started, starting in ride hailing and then um, diversifying with all different kinds of services. So um, in a way, Asia might definitely be a forerunner when it comes to open banking. Um, so in this episode, um, what we can do is basically talk about how open banking has developed in Asia in general, um, what the key drivers are behind it, um, then maybe about the key players to look out for, and um, maybe also at the end we can then draw implications for what this actually means for European banks, if this would be a good benchmark for them, or if this is a complete different way of basically implementing open banking. So when it comes to open banking, how would you define it in your own terms? Because usually it can mean a lot of different things, or I think each bank has its own um, view on it, um, and especially with a focus on on China maybe, or in Asia in general, how, how do you define open banking? That's a very good question. And um, if, if I look at it from my own and experience from China, they usually don't talk about open banking at all. It's more about open community and open ecosystem where you yeah. connect different part of the ecosystem to be able to deliver the best solutions and best experience uh, to both 
the consumers, but also to the suppliers. That's how yeah. China actually, the giants actually approached, and it wasn't with the banks. It was yeah. with uh, AliExpress uh, and, and the WeChat who built a platform to connect everybody. They didn't think yeah. about open banking at all, and banks were not that much involved as as, um, as they are involved, for example, in, in Europe. And okay. that perhaps gave them the the kind of edge that regulators in China didn't see as important to regulate uh, mm -hmm. the, the connections, the APIs uh, that were built between these ecosystems because uh, at the beginning there wasn't much of a transaction in terms of money transactions. It came later on uh, mm -hmm. to the place. So open banking, for me, it means... Um, connecting ecosystems together to provide the best service. That's how I would yeah. define it uh, as such. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting perspective. Um, one quote that you mentioned earlier um, was that the, one of the biggest differentiators that influences actually the speed of API adaptability as well as innovation among those parties, um, if you compare Asia as well as Europe, is like this, the big differentiator is actually regulation. Um, with, the, with its respective advantages and disadvantages. And if we, as you just mentioned, um, this whole interconnectedness between different companies, not only in banking, but also in other industries um, and the data sharing that has been developing differently. Um, and, and you already mentioned that it, it, it was more driven by um, like innovation as well as commercial um, ambitions in Asia. Mm -hmm. how, would you, how would you see that from a regulatory perspective? Or um... Yeah, I think that's that's what made uh, China interesting in the sense that they they um, they develop everything from the consumer and community perspective first, and not yeah. letting regulations uh, kind of prohibit the the innovation and the thinking. So they put the innovation yeah. and thinking ahead of regulations and uh, the the benefits ahead of uh, regulation. That's why um, if you consider. Um, Alipay or Tencent or um, the latest ones is JD or Ping An. The reason why yeah. they have been able to so fast adopt and change is because uh, the openness to innovation uh, is not as regulated as, as much. Of course, China sets uh, certain uh, China or Singapore, for that matter, uh, sets yep. certain of uh, regulations and all to make sure that actually things go uh, according to the law and all. But they are not there to restrict you from innovating. They are there to help you uh, to innovate. Uh, yep. so the biggest differentiator factor, um, if I consider my background from Nordea and working with European regulation, is that the first thing that you set up is a rule book of yeah. how things should not go, <laughs> uh, which is a totally yeah. different angle than what they, it's, it's in, in China. They look at how things should go and then uh, they, they try it out and bring it to the market and uh, then they start thinking about the regulation and all that. And that's what's happening actually in China right now. The, yeah. the Chinese government is setting uh, more demands on, for example, um, the big players like the Alipay and WeChat should use the same QR code technology and uh, should put more attention on uh, individual security and GDPR kind of things. But still, okay. they are not driving uh, these giants to the corner. 
uh, they give it yeah. time and, and uh, they know that they need to pull this together because I mean, they are the, the main uh, financial drivers in that, uh, in that region. Um, Absolutely. Maybe one of the, another big factor is that um, Alipay and Tencent, uh, they are, none of them are banks, actually. It's not bank related at all in that sense. Banks yeah. uh, maybe drive five to ten percent of all the transactions in China. There are this via Alipay and, and WeChat Pay, so that yeah. makes a big difference in this context. What is the role of the bank, and what is the role of of uh, these uh, so-called financial, non-financial, and financial players in the market? Yeah. Very interesting. I think one one interesting data point that I found was um, from two years ago, um, based on based on um, research that was done on open banking opportunities, um, which was basically plotting consumer trust versus regulatory status, where the UK was two years ago um, in an already very major stage when it comes to regulation, um, as we know, um, you know, with, with the special. Um, a task force that has been set up um, in the UK to basically force the biggest banks to open up the data um, and and putting that into uh, regulation and then with PSD2 that became a law as well driving that um, in, in Europe however on that map Ch mainland China is basically very high on consumer trust um, and um, early stage in regulatory status so this could also be um, driven actually by consumer interest to be willing to share data and to be transparent as a consumer in exchange for better services, better prices, better access to a broader range of um, services, not only financial services, whereas um, obviously most European countries score quite low when it comes to consumer trust, especially when you ask them um, about, for example, um, banks or what they think of banks. I think the general sentiment mm -hmm. is not very high. Um, I think the, maybe those consumer preferences and needs as well as expectations this is also probably a driving force in that case yeah absolutely i mean that's a, that's an excellent point um, how the consumers is and how consumers is driving uh, these factors and, and as you said um, perhaps the best example for europe to look at is uk where yes there was regulations but still there was enough room for for uh, different companies and banks and all to work together to innovate. That's why UK is yep. kind of, a, you could say, the best best open banking player in, in Europe. Yep. Uh, and uh, the second thing, definitely consumers and their their kind of perception of what is a bank and what is the role of the bank makes a difference. Yep. We see in Europe the bank as a kind of a um, gatekeeper for our information and money. Yeah. Uh, where in in China the approach, of course, uh, when the consumer is dealing with a non-bank provider like AliExpress was, uh, where you mm. get benefit from buying things and, and you add more services to your um, basically super app and all that, then suddenly it becomes a kind of a trust is built level by level. Yeah. Uh, in a different uh, base than than than, uh, than in Europe, basically, you could say that none of the Chinese consumers actually see Alipay or or WeChat as a financial institution or bank. Yeah. They see it as uh, as a lifestyle app where they are yeah. handling everything. Yeah, so yeah. it's a bit different. 
And that makes your point that whether the consumer how trusts uh, the banks and how we see yeah. it in Europe, very, very relevant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. I think in Europe, if a bank, um, which we have seen in some cases already, um, wants to be a lifestyle brand, they turn their um, retail branches into cafes or co-working spaces <laughs> with, um, I think, different kinds of successes. But um, yeah, it's very interesting to see that, um, that the dynamic in, in China as well, which is obviously completely different. And um, what I also found interesting is Alipay's and as well as WeChat Pay's developments, also in terms of the Singles Day um, that happened last month, where they generated um, over $70 billion in sales in like 24 hours. Um, where you also said that everyone just um, focuses on those huge revenue numbers, whereas um, the interesting bit is the base, is the infrastructure behind all those systems that they have built up. Um, and I think in in, um, in Europe, um, where the regulation um, has uh, basically forced banks to open up the data and then to think about use cases and to f and to actually actively find something useful to do with those APIs. I, th I, thought, I thought in contrast to that, it was interesting that um, Alibaba has already built very like extensive digital um, infrastructures that allow to share data and um, and to, to have a plenty of use cases already in place. Yeah, yeah that's the, I mean, um, it's just amazing how it works. It, uh, the, you could say it's a nervous system that they have built. It's kind yeah. of goes beyond the ecosystem, it goes into the nervous system, uh, that yeah. everything is connected and the pulses of, of uh, information flows from the moment that you press a button already before that, because that's how it goes. It is, um, so they, they call it single days. Alipay has a lot of data on Alipay and AliExpress, that what you're going to buy, what you have bought, and they kind of try mm -hmm. to predict uh, what do you need and based on uh, your age and where you live and all that and uh, they have storage in smaller storages we they don't have big storages in different places they have smaller storages that bring certain stuff based on prediction close to you and delivery happens based on that quite fast so it's a it's a huge uh, kind of nervous system that works around it with different players whether we talk about the the logistics uh, and uh, or or taxi drivers or, or restaurants or any type yeah. of that uh, that connects everything to to each other there was a time i think no i don't remember there was a book uh, written by bill gates um, uh, speed of thought and there he yeah. was talking about this kind of nervous system and how the nervous system can uh, improve the ecosystem this is basically yeah. you could say it's uh, alipay has copy paste everything that is in that book and made okay. it live uh, so it's yeah. a kind of uh, that bill gates was totally on it but uh, not uh, yeah. perhaps uh, implemented as far as uh, alipay and then aliexpress did yeah i think if it, that's that's super interesting. Uh, if you also look at other players in China, um, what I have found, for example, Ping An, um, they have launched a platform last year called Gamma O, um, which is part of its One Connect technology offering. And what I found interesting is that Gamma O is basically an open platform for financial services providers um, that connects them with te technology service providers. So helping banks to connect with technology companies um, and they want to build that now into an open fintech ecosystem that now helps 
the growth of so-called open banks. So as you said, like the banks are not actually, or the, the, the regulated financial institutions are not the ones that are really driving those ecosystems. But I think even even there are now, it seems like coming up different initiatives to to help them to be to really utilize and build on that um, digital infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, you, can, you pointed out another big giant that actually started as a as a insurance company and insurance tech and yep. quickly they evolved to being something else and that's another amazing thing about um, the chinese these chinese giants it's not just the giants but the other ones as well how fast they evolved in, yep. in uh, using these technologies that's uh, comparing to if you consider well, Google finally came out with the next version of Google Pay, which is more or less, you yep. would say, it's a copy-paste of, of Alipay, but it took them so long to get here, to evolve to yep. this level. And that's where Chinese um, companies are, are perhaps more open and faster in evolving and in and revolutionizing their business than, than what uh, we do in Europe or, or, or in, in um, generally. In yeah, it seems like it. Definitely. Also, what I what I've seen of Ping An, um, how they have structured the whole group, um, from the incentive systems to the organizational structures and processes um, to the KPIs they use um, to how they build up the tech unit. I think that's. You, you probably can't compare it to any European player. So that's that's definitely probably one of the reasons why they are so fast and the speed of innovation is so high there. Um, and of course, Tencent operates WeChat. Um, so for, I think everyone is interested to hear and get insights into WeChat. But what's your opinion on the app? And, and do you even think that something like that could evolve in other places as well? Um, I think it's, 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 I've been, Thinking about it, and I think it's um, there are two two levels on that. The one is the regulation in in in, uh, in Europe because we don't allow one player to dominate these kind of things like Facebook. We dominate yeah. everything, and uh, that already sets the sets the kind of a direction. Uh, yeah. I believe the consumers would like to have something like that, uh, and that's why Google has brought closest you could say to this level and yep. we'll see how it goes um, but i think it's as, as you brought up this needs to be very much consumer driven uh, yep. in these contexts because i mean yeah the main apps that we use are all fragmented and we are getting more apps and more and more where you could with uh, vchat and and, and uh, alipay and there are a couple of others like TikTok and all that uh, that uh, handle everything, but the funny thing is, all these TikToks and Pyongs uh, and all they are belonging to the same companies, so yeah. it's kind of generates new, new uh, revolutionary ways to handle and sell stuff in, in these companies. Whether yeah. Europe it will happen, uh, I think we will see within a year or two how Google goes, yeah. and from there I believe it will. Uh, it will evolve. I really, I mean, I love the way Google brought up to you this one uh, and the Google Pay and the next generation of how you can actually have a super app in this context. Yeah. So, Do you see any traditional bank in Europe launching or being able to launch some something like this? 
or or would it rather come from you know other non-financial players like either big tech or some other lifestyle brands that already have a huge amount of users and um, a lot of daily active or monthly active users um, to actually be the aggregator and be build up build out those ecosystem because usually i mean banks have been only being obviously in banking in europe and yeah. I'm, I'm not sure even if when it comes to a brand perspective if people want to have everything in their i don't know deutsche bank app or ubs app or lodea app you know yeah <laughs> so that, that yeah. would be interesting to see yeah, and, and of course yeah yeah go ahead go ahead yeah, no, I, I'm just asking. I think that, that we, will, we will see that in the future, that how it plays out. But my assumption is that even when it comes, obviously, there is consumer trust that the, the, the bank is able to, um, you know, help to ensure data security and regulation and all that kind of stuff. But when, when you compare that, you simply cannot compare that probably to the ecosystems or ecosystem apps from Asia. And then the question is, is Google able to pull this off and basically get a lot of traction with that but as you said we will see that probably in the over the next year so it plays out mm. i think yeah i don't see banks being um, bringing super apps because as you said the bank is um it's not in all banks interest to be a kind of logistic partner or uh, being a partner of different insurance companies and being partner with other banks because that's what yeah. um, Google Pay and, and Alipay and the guys doing. They don't care uh, which bank's customer you are. You can add as many yeah. banks as you want and you can use as different thousands of different logistic companies as you want. They just want to enable uh everything yep. to move uh, smoothly so from that perspective i would say definitely it's going to be a non-bank player the banks will be behind it uh, in this context yep. because they are enabler in terms of the the ecosystem of the money and transactions yeah, but yep. the one that will bring it is going to be a non-bank and i trust also uh, you don't want to you don't want to be uh, you know, the super app or, or some other super yeah. app, you want something more kind of trendy uh, name for it than, than what it is today. So, which yeah, makes a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was also looking at the numbers, um, for example, that um, the, the, the um, Alipay is, for example, already used by over 1 billion people which is already, you can't compare these numbers, obviously, but, um, and what I found interesting is that it already captures over half of China's $29 trillion digital payments market. So as you said, um, those kind of numbers are extreme. And of course, uh, regulation is, is already one um, one factor that yeah, limits no, something like is. this in Europe. Um, it is, but uh, there is also a bit of downside uh, with, um... Uh, with the way things have developed in, in China, because everything is QR-based, all the payments, yeah. whatever payment you want to do, most of the communication, uh, running doors and, and all that is QR-based. And it's basically okay. your, your um, mobile phones that, that handle and, and uh, um, it's not uh, perhaps the most convenient for elderly people. 
because it's yeah. not easy for him to generate and handle the, 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 the smartphones and all that. Mm-hmm. So it makes it um, a bit cumbersome for them because there is a huge amount of them as well uh, that needs to be served uh, at the same time as we go along. And But the interesting part is that now it was, I think it was a month ago, uh, with the yeah. COVID and all, because the government requested that you have to be able to generate a QR code to identify yourself when you go somewhere. And of course, a lot of people were having hard time to do that. Yeah. So now regulators are actually have asked the players like Alipay and, and Tencent and all to come together. Okay, how together we can build a service that would actually uh, be directed as the earlier people to be easier to use than, than okay. before. So again, even if things um, seem to be cumbersome and uh, the innovation is open and they're invited to develop new services. Um, yeah. And that's again, makes it a bit different than how we would uh, think in, in, in Europe. I know my parents, for example, they are quite old and they live in Finland. Everything more or less works with smartphones. Uh, yep. But uh, there is no one telling, coming and saying that, hey, let's try to help elderly people to be able to <laughs> yeah. make this services better or banking services better than, uh, yeah, good point. than the others. So. No, that's a very good point. Actually, um, yeah. Um, also, if you look at the um, other regulatory bodies, if you if you look beyond China, obviously, I think as you said, China, when it comes to the developments there, is that basically influences the whole Asian region. Um, I've been looking into what's happening in Singapore, Australia, and Hong Kong as well, um, and that has been super interesting to see. Um, for example, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Um, was apparently the first regulatory body in Asia Pacific to release an API playbook. So as, as far as I understand, it's more like a, a recommendation of how this could play out. Obviously, it's not uh, this, this didn't become a law, but um, has been showing the banks what is possible over APIs. And um, it's it's free mm-hmm. online. And I don't know if you've seen it. It's hundreds of pages full of um, uh, you know analysis and what kind of APIs would help banks with what kinds of pros and cons and how, to, how how they should basically standardize APIs and so on. That was very interesting to see. Um, I think they had over 100 use cases as well for corporate as well as retail banking, um, which, um, yeah, probably, uh, yeah, that, that was a good benchmark for the banks in Singapore to to see that and see the opportunity as well from, from that perspective. Um, and since then, they have locked around 230 transactional and 270 informational APIs. So, so this has definitely been driven, driven um, there as well. Um, then in Hong Kong, they also published an open banking API framework. Um, and of course, in Australia, I think it's now coming up. So in July this year, um, there was a new legislation that now forces the four largest Australian banks to share customer data upon regress, so a little bit similar to, to what's happened in Europe, I think. So it seems like even beyond China, um, there is definitely now the trend is clear, like it's going towards opening up banking data and sharing it via API infrastructure. So um, no, yeah, that's, that's a good finding, um, definitely. Uh, it's a good finding. And 
especially when you mentioned that it's a recommendation, but it can be a strong recommendation yep. with use cases. I yep. mean, you know yourself how long it has been taking our regulators, EBAs and all to find, to come up with, okay, but is it this standard API or that standard of API that we will be using? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But there are, uh, of course, you could say that the why why in Europe we are not copying the same rule books, uh, the best of breed from what is already being kind of put together. Yeah. Uh, so that that's uh, I mean that's not for me to answer, but it's a question towards more more sure. our European European regulators who are working with these. That, that uh, how come we have to invent the wheel? Uh, from yeah. European perspective, if the banks that are, for example, or as you mentioned, in Singapore or, or in Asia, like Standard Chartered and UPS and all, are already using mm -hmm. those, um, so wouldn't be, yeah. be uh, more convenient try to to take what is the best working in those use cases and bring it to Europe rather than trying to uh, yeah. invent something here. Absolutely. Yeah. What? What? Um... You already mentioned Standard Chartered. What are the banks that um, are there? Any banks that have impressed you most when it comes to opening up data in in China, in China or in Asia in general? Mm. Or was it rather the big tech Yeah, I mean, Standard Chartered is by far is, is the one that has been operating in in Asia for yeah. I think it's for already 100, 150 years. Then the other one is HSBC has been operating yep. that region of course i mean it came from of course um hong kong and all that regions that they have been up for quite some time in that in that mm -hmm. area and then if there are any other other companies whether they from banks perspective none 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 of the other then of course lately was it now a year or two years ago visa and mastercard entered uh, mm -hmm entered uh, the Chinese market and uh, perhaps one other last one uh, is is uh, Klarna working with uh, Ali, AliExpress on yeah. providing this uh, kind of a financial aid uh, to pay pay now or pay later kind of approach which okay. is a huge kind of thing from a a uh, European fintech that is um, on that level. But the background for that is that um, in 2000, beginning of 2019, actually, uh, Alipay bought 1% of Klarna. So it okay. made it a bit uh, kind of a, uh, closer. So Klarna now has both Snoop Dogg and, and Alipay yeah. on board. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Do you know how that is that already live in China or? Uh, no, not yet. Not, okay. not yet, but they announced that okay, this is gonna happen quite soon. So yeah, that's right. how right. well, get footprint in China as well. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, that's obviously that would open up a huge market for them. Um, yeah. Yeah. So interesting. I, I well, the banks that I had a look at were um, I, I was looking more into corporate APIs um, and how that is now used um, across Asia. And one bank that stood out was DBS. Um, DBS had, they have, for example, launched an API developer hub in 2017, um, and they call it now one of the world's most extensive API developer platforms with over 200 APIs. 
Um, and over more than 50 companies are plugged into their APIs now. And um, you don't find much um, in public communications about how this, how successful this really is, is and how much um, revenue this drives now for DBS. But um, they have basically quite nice case studies on how corporates can use financial data um, and, and integrate that into their own um, ERP systems, for example. Um, I think this would the major use cases are basically... Um, you know, using APIs to drive efficiencies um, instead of and, and avoiding paper and just have systems talk to each other in an automated way. Um, and yeah, like what I that I found definitely very interesting um, because also especially the European banks are looking at how can they drive efficiencies through APIs, especially when they work together with big corporates in Europe. Um, and DBS has has yeah has has launched some nice benchmarks there when it comes to um, both workflow APIs, um, for, as I said, for, for cloud ERP integration, um, bank statements provisioning, um, different payment systems and, and making sure their the interoper interoperability between payments is, is given that all goes through APIs. Um, and also, um, I think transactional APIs are also a, a big thing there, at least it seems like it. Um, so for remittance, um, international payments, um, real-time payments, uh, foreign exchange, and so on. So those are those are use cases that I think are are really good benchmarks also for European APIs. And it seems like TBS is really pushing this. Um, they're working together with McDonald's as well. Um, and McDonald's serves 1.5 million customers a week in Singapore. And um, they have integrated with the DBS API um, to speed up the, the, the payments processing. Um, and yeah, like the, those was one... This was one um, interesting case study that make you know mm -hmm. some some big customer like McDonald's is obviously um, has a quite big transaction amount um, is then automating those pa payments via DBS APIs. But it's um, yeah, that you mentioned, uh, this one because just yeah. I just I don't know the answer, but but I just wonder if why is it so that DBS can do that in in Asia, but uh, it's not possible in Europe because. We have McDonald's in Europe. We have other big uh, companies in Europe as well that they can yeah. use definitely the same. Uh, they have use for all all these um, APIs. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know the answer, but it's a just interesting observation of question that that uh, maybe somebody knows. Uh, who Absolutely. listens? Somebody who listens could answer <laughs> answer this question for us. <laughs> yeah. Um... Definitely. And another example that I found was Access by Standard Chartered. Um, you already mentioned it. Um, so um, I found it interesting because Standard Chartered is one of the, basically part of a task force that now defines standards for open APIs um, together with the Hong Kong financial regulator. Um, and they have now launched this, or basically this, this exists now since a few years. It's called um, Access. Um, which already has 82 corporate APIs. I think in general, when it comes to API products, um, Asia is definitely a front runner worldwide. So there are, they have the, the, the largest amount of um, API, financial APIs even um, when, you, when you compare that on a global basis. Um, so and Standard Chartered, Standard Chartered has 82 corporate APIs. Um, which um, yeah helps to initiate real-time payments, um, real-time debit credit notifications, and so on. Um, and um, especially with the corporate clients, they now use APIs to improve um, liquidity and working capital management. So uh, this seems like they have already 
quite a solid base again here of, of use cases where probably European banks need, would just need to look at what's happening there and see does this really drive value for the bank for the clients and um, yeah no one needs to reinvent the wheel I guess so this is this would be another example of where you could basically copy copy what works and, and see how to adapt that to the European market. Yeah. It um, could be also that in Europe, I mean, it's, it's where um, super apps are consumer driven and how it's been developed, it's based on the consumer demands uh, to begin yeah. with. But in the same way, how actually European corporates are willing to take this in and how active they are in this context. Maybe they either they 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 don't maybe they, they recognize it that there there is this development and and there is this technology available uh, but they don't know exactly how to use it or yep. they might be that, that they are so much into other development of uh, their own um, you could say ERP systems or, or other other things that they don't pay attention to it. That what is available actually from the banks and financial institution size, yeah. the APIs. It could be this angle too. It's, it's hard to say. Where in in um, Asia maybe they actually they have done a better job into uh, creating the awareness of yeah. what you can do with it. Uh, how you can utilize it, how fast you can actually uh, improve your your financial results and all that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What do, what do you say now? I mean, um, what, what's the downside of this? I mean, obviously there is the consumer awareness and uh, the willingness to, to, you know, to be more transparent um, with their own data in exchange for better services. Um, I was just thinking, you know, those huge tech companies that are existing in China, there's no equivalent to that in, in Europe. So um, we don't have those those kind of companies here and especially not with that kind of market power. But you already mentioned, for example, the QR code as the standard there for payments, um, which is um, not a good way to pay for all all participants in society, especially with all the people. So um, do, do you see any downsides to to the Chinese model, especially when it comes to the consumers, um, since those big players have, you know, such a huge market force, um, is it, is it in some driving a better society, or is it basically ab abused in terms of how how transparent the consumer is there? Um, I think it 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 I would call it more of a kind of a fifty fifty situation. Um, yeah. If you want better services, you need to sell something. And, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and what you can sell is basically your your data as a person. Yeah. Uh, what you do, where you are, and so then you can then the company can utilize that to offer you better services, more personalized, more customized, uh, and so on. Then I usually compare it to um, using a Facebook. And yep. how much information I actually have in Facebook, and and other people have access to it, and where it's used, and all that. What do I get? Is mainly uh, pop up, uh, <laughs> pop up, uh, you know, commercials that uh, buy this, yeah. buy that, but uh, nothing, nothing more than that in, in that sense. Yeah. So. I'm exposed maybe even more uh, via Facebook than a consumer via Alipay. I would uh, that would be my yeah. guess because still 
in Alibaba and in and WeChat, the security levels are quite high in terms of who can access, how we can access, and even the spams are regulated at how many spams one company can send, uh, and okay. so on and so on. So it's it's taking to a different level than 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 uh, what we yep. have. I'm not saying that it's uh, super secured. I'm just saying that they have considered the. The security from a different perspective and uh, from a win-win-win kind of perspective than yeah. uh, what we have uh, in Europe, for example, uh, yeah. we see Facebook as a you know very secure place to have uh, a lot of information, pictures, but uh, yeah. uh, the the wallet of a bank. We don't want to even give one, one yeah, basic information of, of your birthday. <laughs> it's a kind of a, uh, irony how we we, uh, we see these kind of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like, especially in Europe, um, the services that provide um, encrypted services, whether it's messaging, video chat. Um, whatever it is, it's on the rise, um, or secure email systems and so on. So that, um, which, which already basically they don't have a freemium model anymore. You already pay for it in exchange for your data being secure and encrypted, encrypted. So maybe, um, as we have seen at the, or what I said at, at the beginning that in Europe, this, the basic consumer trust is, 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 is in general way lower than in Asia. Um, so this, this might definitely be also a factor that, that pro that works against having those super extensive um, apps. Um, it will be very, very interesting to see if Google will will succeed in being this aggregator. If people would be willing to give Google all this kind of information, and then the question is, would Google be able to provide such a service comparable to the Asian super apps that you really get this huge offering of different kinds of financial services and beyond that, um, that they would be really able to utilize all kinds of different data, different kinds of data to um, improve the services and the access to different um, financial services. So I think that that will be interesting um, to see. But um, yeah, I think in general, when it comes to values and consumer trust, it's it's that's also one of the biggest differences. Um, yeah, it is. And maybe, I mean, the, the things that are happening in China now with regulations and, and uh, government putting effort into regulating some things. I mean, they're, they're European are ahead. So yeah. even I say that, okay, maybe we from in, in Europe, we should take an example of how things are done in, in China. Yeah. The same way it goes the other way around. We have done a lot of work on what, uh, how to regulate and how to put some directives in place to make things secure and to make the players work together. So this goes the other way around as well, that China and general Asia should look uh, yeah. what uh, Europe has done in this context and utilize yeah. what there is, not just the other way around. And I guess Singapore, yeah. as you brought it up, with these uh, API books and uh, yeah. rules, perhaps they have done that. They have looked at, okay, what the European have done, and then they have put the, the best suggestions and best ways to put uh, do things together and yeah. put it out there. Yeah, Maybe. absolutely. I think, yeah. Um, do you have any high level tips uh, if um, if we now look at China and obviously I think in general, you really can't compare those two markets as we have now talked about, um, but what if European banks now, since they 
are all working on PSD2 implementation uh, on beyond PSD2 APIs. Um, do you have any analogies or any any sort of high-level recommendations for European banks that would be interested in China? How, how would you approach that? How, how could you really learn to basically build out those case studies and benchmarks um, in your um, experience? I would say don't be afraid to... Uh, don't be afraid in, the, in terms of collaboration with the uh, giants like Alipay and Tencent or WeChat Pay. They yeah. might look very giant, uh, but they are extremely welcoming in terms of uh, when you want to collaborate uh, to get into China or working in Europe and all that. Um, mm -hmm. I know by experience that, that, that they work very fast. Uh, they are very fast in innovating and working with you when there is good reasons and good uh, good cases. So yeah. if I would be a bank, uh, the first thing I would do is reach out to um, the Alipay in London or, or the other guys to see, hi, what can we do together? How can I get the, the best of the breed and uh, in terms of the synergies that we could? And they would I just open the door for you to get in and, and discuss yeah. how we could work together. So stepping aside from our, you could say, basic assumptions of what is Alipay and what is Tencent will help yeah. a lot in the context and just reaching out to yeah. them is, is the first step. And then from there on, I can guarantee you it just starts smoothly mm -hmm. moving forward. It's yeah, that's I mean, yeah, I was I was um, also thinking what I mean, what European banks could learn. And obviously, I mean, one thing you cannot change is the consumer trust and willingness to share data. Obviously, that's market dependent. Um, on the other hand, the, the not only open banking, but basically open economy that has been developing in China built on data and um, API infrastructure that has been built purely by the big tech giants, um, uh, commercial awareness, commercial ambition, um, drive to really um, be innovative and to invest in those, in those early use cases. And I think this is also something that European counterparts, banks, obviously this, goes, this advice goes also beyond banks. Um, this is something they, they could maybe learn from. Um, I think a few years ago, you know, banking before PC2 and so on, the, I think banks had a very linear uh, business model, um, very simple. You have been doing what you have done since the last, what you know, since since ages, you know, since decades, since decades. Um, and now this is slowly changing, where banks are actually pushed into this, where they just have to jump and really be innovative and um, start building out new kinds of commercial capabilities to really start thinking about okay, what what do our clients need at the moment? How can we deliver that through? For example, via the data that we have, by sharing data or exchanging data, um, and really looking at from a, starting from the client perspective, um, because obviously, what Alipay and all the other big Chinese um, you know big companies have done is really unlock a huge amount of client value um, from if you look at banking use cases from lending, but also from an e-commerce perspective and so on. That's I think that's something when it comes to innovation capabilities and launching new kinds of services and products fast, learning from them, adapting. I think banks in Europe have never worked like this before, and now they 
need to learn it. Um, so I think that is also one one learning that I was seeing um, where they could definitely adopt something from the Asian market as well. Yeah, that that's definitely that's a really good point that how how um, they could go that way. It it comes of kind of yeah, um, what's happening after open banking in Europe. Uh, perhaps you could. Uh, based on what you said, you could summarize it as bank banks becoming more of a banking as a platform kind of uh, player yeah. rather than just being a bank. That yeah. is a platform that, that, that you can aggregate other things on top of it uh, in terms of providing a super app, but it's not just a bank anymore. It's a more of a platform that, that is aggregates different services together. Absolutely. That yeah. would be the next level of open banking, in a sense. Uh, absolutely. That. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, what what I re I mean, this goes back to this classical question: uh, Do you stay closed and do you go on as you have done before, or do you open up and innovate? And I think those are options that uh, banks, even if they that you know they have to make this decision um it's it's already like five past 12 so they, i think every bank now needs to have a strategy in place on how to deal with those market shifts um and and if because if you look now already in in, in um, asia i think that what i read so far the smaller banks that are not able to compete in terms of technology investments with the big companies whether it's a bank or a te technology company um, have already become extremely dependent on those digital platforms just for distribution um, so it, i think that's that's an important um, aspect to keep in mind if you if you if you because at the end of the day if you just go on as as before you will be pushed back further back to the value chain and it, it only continues like that. And at the, at the end, you're just, you, you cannot compete on that level anymore. So um, yeah. I think, I think yeah. when it comes to that, um, yeah. It, it is true. I mean, that's, that's maybe um, a very good point that you touched at how uh, smaller players can, other players can come to the market when there are giants like that, then how fast yeah. they are eaten. And yeah. probably quite fast they are eating. And, or on the other hand, it could be that they, they just jump on the platform and they, tr yeah. they accept their position in a sense. You, yeah. uh, you worked with Holvi and you brought Holvi to yeah. Germany. Um, yeah. uh, what was the perspective considering now our discussion, yeah. how Holvi brought itself to German market, uh, knowing how the market is, knowing the other players, how, how was that done? Yeah, that was that was basically. I think in general, that was an experiment to see if you can basically passport um, a banking model across Europe. Um, and before that, as you know, like the, every bank had very strongly localized subsidiaries um, in each country, and we tried to do it on a pan-European basis, um, which with one payment institution license from Finland, um, passporting that to other countries. Um, uh, and, and I mean, to some extent, it worked, um, but only for a narrow, very narrow niche of, of of customers. And what we quickly noticed was that there are just some very, especially since this, since Holvi is in business banking, um, SME banking, and, and you know, small, very small businesses, um, there are always some local nuances that you only notice once you are in the market, but are basically a deal breaker for a lot of potential customers. If you don't offer them, um, they just 
go to the standard local version of what they have, even if it's worse than what you would offer. Um, but there are just some some requirements that you need to have in place. For example, like bookkeeping integrations, um, local, you know, um, local not only regulations but habits how people write invoices um, and what, what should be placed in which field and so on so all these very small details um we notice are, are suddenly very important and then you, then you invest in localization and, and localize the product further and this is a process that continues with each each market entry again so very basically start mm-hmm. from scratch so um yeah but I think Holvi Holvi is definitely an interesting case because they they have used basically the the the, the bank account as um as a horizontal um, as a horizontal layer and built different kinds of applications on top of it like e-commerce solution invoicing bookkeeping um, and so on so this this has played a little bit into this into this um, yeah uh, you know um strategy where you as a bank offer already different kinds of services in, um, mm-hmm. instead of um doing only banking um and i i feel like when it comes especially when it comes to small business banking this is one one of the winning strategies if you have the resources to actually build a lot of best-in-class services beyond banking and and, and offer that to your clients but um yeah so this this was yeah these were some of the learnings yeah, I think you mean that you said it very well. How it's it's been built. So it's a kind of, I could say, the way the Chinese AliExpress and Alipay have worked. Basically, have done more or less the same thing for the banking and financial services from a different perspective. And yeah. I guess that's what Holovi has done, uh, trying to 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 innovate the banking from a different perspective than than it has been. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good, yeah. Good. Are there any other, um, like, did we uh, cover everything or was with other aspects? I think about we have covered yeah. uh, everything. Uh, thanks it, uh, for, yeah. for keeping the good pace and uh, pitching uh, good, sure. good uh, comments so that we could go, keep going. It, yeah. Obviously, you have done this before, <laughs> so yeah. it's easy to, oh. to hang along with your kind of uh, conversation. No, that's great. And, uh, and uh, of course, this is our first time that we actually see each other. So and yeah. it seems to work very well as well. So it's, yeah. it's cool. No, and, that's great. Uh, I also appreciate that you have done your your um, kind of uh, figures and, and all that sort of had facts. So yeah. That's, that's yeah. very appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also thanks from from my side that you took the time to um, uh, come on the podcast. And I think obviously open banking in Asia is just such a huge topic that um, I think in the future, if we think about specific topics related to payments, related to e-commerce um, or maybe corporate um, APIs, uh, that's something that we can always maybe also cover in, in, in a separate um, yeah. podcast as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, from my side, thanks. Um, I think this was very interesting. I know that a lot of European banks uh, you know, are very interested to hear what's going on in Asia. So yeah. um, this this should be should be great for them as well. Yeah. All right. <laughs>